Hey there, I'm Tal Zlotnitsky from Ignite IT Consulting. You know me from the Braving Business Podcast, but when I'm not behind the mic, I'm helping tech startups and established companies ignite their full potential. I also help entrepreneurs and businesses in distress reset for success. With over three decades of entrepreneurial success, I bring hands-on experience to drive growth, navigate turnarounds, raise capital, and lead through innovation. Whether it's executive coaching or strategic transformation, I'm here to turn your business challenges into success stories. Visit IgniteITConsulting.com and let's spark that change together. That's IgniteITConsulting.com. Your journey to business brilliance starts now. This episode of the Braving Business Podcast is sponsored by, well, me. I'm PJ Benoit, and I've been in the domestic and international logistics space for over 30 years. If you need any assistance with transportation or logistics, my team and I will jump at the chance to help. Whether it be parcel shipments, e-commerce, pallets and freight, full truckload, international air and ocean, imports, exports, warehousing and distribution, or really anything under the logistics umbrella, we got you covered. For more details, please go to shipwithpj.com. That's shipwithpj.com. Reach out to me there. Mention you found me on this podcast for a special surprise. And one last quick thing. If you enjoyed this episode, please stay on after the show to learn more about the Braving Business Podcast and other great episodes for you to discover. And now, let's get the show started. Well, hello there. Hello there. You are uh, much, much prettier today than usual. <laughs> oh, uh, wait. Thanks, that's, there's more than one of you in the picture. Look at that. <laughs> I know. Right. Oh, lovely. I know. I know. All of a sudden, I, I have a, a growth that's gorgeous coming out of my side. <laughs> that, I'm a growth. That's right. That's right. I don't know that I would refer to my significant other as growth. But... Okay. You, you do you, man. It's, it's a love that lasts, my friend. I, well, that is true. That I believe. <laughs> that I believe. You also have a lovely hat on today. Thank you. It says BB. I, I cannot imagine what that stands for. Can uh, uh, me? I believe it's beautiful. Bode no, it's uh, Braving Business, my friend. The Braving nice. Business Podcast. The official hat, which will be on, wow. on, the, old, uh, on the old website. Very, very soon. Nice. Yeah. That is a lovely hat. I, I think I will wear it on vacation, which I'm about to go on. Although I, I got it. First, we have to talk about my weekend of debauchery oh, in New Orleans. Please. We, we, that, we Love that town. We heard you left your mark debauching all over the place. <laughs> I did. I debauched and debauched. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I haven't been back to New Orleans since uh, since before Katrina. And uh, my girlfriend, Aaron, and I went there with, uh, with I, I, I will say our friends now, but they oh. coming into the weekend, they were her friends, Mark and Michelle, a lovely, lovely couple. And we had an incredible time. We went there uh, for a three-day weekend, got there Friday morning. Um, you know, I would say that uh, we, you know, we, we experienced the highs and the lows. We decided to go and do one of those, uh, um, you get on a speedboat and, and you go on the, on, on the mud. It's like 45 minutes outside of New Orleans. And uh, anyway, that was not the highlight. Um, but other than that, it was one highlight after another. That's awesome. Uh, we That's danced wonderful. our way through New Orleans. I stayed up until almost 2 a.m., which oh, I wow. don't think I've done since I was 30 years old. <laughs> it was so much fun. I can't even. Now, did you do me proud? You said that you haven't been there since Katrina. Did you do me proud? And when you left, they said, 
please give us some time before you come back. <laughs> Did you leave the city in that disrepair? I listen. I think I uh, I left my mark. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Although not as much as not as much as some other people. We saw quite a bit of, you know, we saw you know America at its best. We saw a twenty five year old retching her guts into a garbage can at like ten p.m. Of course, yeah. Um, we, we saw humanity wearing all sorts of accoutrements on their bodies that, you know, often are not worn out in public. <laughs> um, there was the flashing of boobies for, uh, you know, uh, for absolutely, uh, the cheapest, most, you know, un useless, um, beads that you'll ever have mm -hmm. the kind that you would be embarrassed to use as butt beads. <laughs> I actually don't think that's the medicinal purpose of those beads, <laughs> just so you know. It's not? No, no. Uh, huh. Talk to your proctologist. I'm going to. Oh, I was lied to. It's frowned upon. I think it's frowned upon. <laughs> it is? Huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They well, might contain you know, lead. You don't want the that. Yeah. The things you learn. Uh, plus, you don't want to lose any. No. Yeah, uh, no. Those have a tendency to break, at no. least, least the ones that we got there. We also saw some, you know, generally speaking, I think uh, monk, monks are supposed to be silent, but we saw a lot of monks that were not silent if you didn't give them a $5 bill when they gave you cheap pearls or cheap, you know, mm. uh, beads. Mm. Not silent at all. Not, uh, not the passive Demanding type. their money. Mm. No, nope, wow. not at all. Jeez. Uh, but I'll tell you, it was, uh, it was so much fun. Um, I'm looking forward to a week with Aaron in Cancun, lovely Cancun, Mexico, and I'll be wearing that hat. Possibly nothing else, <laughs> but that that I can't speak of. So we'll uh, we'll just have to carry on, um, you know, and uh, pretend I never said that. Just <laughs> just among us three and the thousands upon thousands That's of right. people listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, good luck in Cancun. Everyone has a goal, so um, right. I hope that uh, may may you get sunburn in places that you shouldn't. How's that? Mm. Well, I, you know, you could wish me that I would have enough sunscreen and not get burned. That's there. true. Well, that's true. That's but true. that's okay. You know, you do you again. Um, <laughs> I, I would be wishing you no sunburns there. See, that's the oh, difference between us. No, because you, oh. you are a much kinder yeah. friend than I am. <laughs> I, I think that's true. So, Kara, yes, we have as our guest today the esteemed Kara Lockwood Benoit, who is the lovely, 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 lovely wife of oh, PJ Benoit. Thank you. In fact, actually, he is your husband. You're not his wife. I uh, so today true. we're going to do a uh, we're going to we're going to turn things around. I will be the one stumbling over my words to make an introduction, and PJ will seem much more on top of it, preparing for the first question. <laughs> of course. Are you ready for that, PJ? I am. All right, great. Next questions. All right, let's give it a go. Today's guest, Kara Lockwood Benoit, is a best-selling novelist and luminary in the world of contemporary romance, aka rom-com. And young adult fiction, she has published more than 35 novels across various genres, including rom-com, young adult, paranormal, and suspense. And her books have been translated into five languages. And if she allows me, I would love to translate into Hebrew and That'd make it awesome. a sixth. Yeah, let's do it. Do you know how uh, to say throb in Hebrew? <laughs> I, I, I know three different ways to say throb and two different ways to spell it. Ooh, okay, good. How do you like good. that? Wow. All right. Impressive, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Um, well, you know, certain words are just so essential to communication. Right? <laughs> True. How could you not True. know them? True. Um, Kara is also the founder and president of Edit My Novel, an online editing business that guides aspiring authors through the publishing world, through which she has helped hundreds of people realize their dreams of becoming published authors, which is super cool. She was born in Dallas, Texas, 
She's a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, which recently, very recently, over the weekend, as a matter of fact, fired yes. their president yes, for thinking did. that well, maybe there are certain instances where yeah. killing Jews or saying that you want to kill them is okay. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, is it Jew and an Israeli? I find that a little bit disturbing, and I'm glad they fired her. And I wonder, I wonder just how much the $100 million that Ross Stevens, a graduate of the school, decided he was going to pull away. Mm-hmm. Uh, had to do with them firing her. About but I want to hope they did it yeah. because it was the right thing to do. Yeah. But yes. I, suspect, I suspect it had something to do with it. Uh, Kira first made her mark with the novel I Do, But I Don't. It's a book which uh, has captivated audiences and later was adapted into a Lifetime original movie starring Denise Richards, uh, at the time, I believe, married to Charlie Sheen. So mm-hmm. I think you met him too. Yes. That's a story. Yes, it uh, is. As well as, <laughs> as well as Dean Kane. Superman himself. Yes. Um, her novels have been celebrated for their engaging narratives, relatable characters. They include Dixieland Sushi, Every Demon Has His Day, and the Bard Academy series for young adults, featuring titles like Withering Heights and my personal favorite, I'm just going to say it with an accent, Moby Click. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That name se- seems a little X-rated to me. I don't know. But <laughs> to young adults, it couldn't be, right? Yeah, no, 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 no. And it was yeah, actually weathering. It was weathering high, not weathering heights. Right. Weathering high. Yeah. Like, oh like yeah, sorry. You didn't. Oh, you're not Emily Bronte. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. There um, might be some copyright issues. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know what? I, I'd like to see her come after us. Her publisher come after us. I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it might be in the public domain by now. Might be and I think it is. I think it is. She is the publisher of Weathering Heights. No, okay. It was Weathering High. I apologize. Kara's books, not just stories, they're explanations of love, life, and the unexpected twists uh, that make life both exciting and deeply human. And we'll dive, dive into this conversation uh, to understand the inspiration behind your work. Of course, beyond the most obvious uh, inspiration of all, who sitting who is sitting to uh, your right, uh, needless to say. Uh, he is the main character of your rom-com story. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Mostly on the uh, com. No, <laughs> no. Not the rom no, he's the hero. He's the hero in all of my books. <laughs> You're in my fact, hero. Tal, that, you know what I tell people whenever they start reading her books? I'm like, hey, when you get to the sexy parts, think of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I, I no just asked for her to send me a couple of books so that I could read them on vacation. Yeah. And now I don't know that I want them anymore. <laughs> I'll, put a, I'll put a little Polaroid of me in there for you. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Please do. Um, in addition to everything that Kara has done and is doing in the world of literature, she's also a mom, a stepmom, and is overcoming breast cancer, which fans, fans of the show have heard PJ speak about. It's not a secret, and I look forward to having a little bit of a conversation about that. Uh, and uh, to understand the transition that you went through, uh, you started really high, you had some lows, you've come back, and uh, I think your story is going to be something that our listeners and viewers are going to really enjoy. So, Kara, thank you so much for honoring us by joining us on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I, I'm your number one fan. I mean, I listen all the time, so I'm very excited to be here. Well, Aaron would tell you that she is our number one fan. <laughs> well, you know what? When, um, we, when we do the Braving Business Vacation, let's, that's uh, right. let's get that them together, nice. have a little cage match. You and I will drink. And, uh... That's right. They, they can, they, you know what they could do is they could, they could, they could uh, share their favorite anecdotes from episodes with that's us. They true. could regale us with their favorite moments. Yeah, that, that'll last. Uh, that would be All nice. Right. Aaron actually does that. It's really lovely. Like she gives me commentary and it's, you know. It's uh, I enjoy it. Do you do that for PJ? Do you do you give him feedback I, on the episode? I have not given him a lot of feedback because it's all so perfect. Oh, 
Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> wow. All right. Let's get to the question, shall we? Let's get to the question. Kara, my love. Yes. Yes. Before the accolades. Yes. And before I do, but I don't became a household name, taking the rom-com world by storm, as we all know, there was a dream and the journey of becoming a published author. Can you share with us how this dream took root for you and the path you traveled to realize it? Yeah. Well, you know, I always wanted to be a writer. I always loved to read first, first of all, when I, when I learned to read in preschool, um, I was so excited. And my mom, who is also a avid reader, took me to the bookstore so that I could pick out books. And then she, she let me ride with the car light on all the way home so I could read it in the backseat. I've just always loved to read. I've always loved stories. I always wanted to be a storyteller. Um, when I went to Penn, um, that was my, my goal. I'm like, I'm going to get a degree in, in writing and literature and I'm going to write a novel. And my, um, Japanese American dad, who's, uh, an orthopedic retired orthopedic surgeon was like, well, what are you going to do to make money though? <laughs> like, what are you, you're not going to come back home when you graduate. So what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess I should make a living. That, that'd be great. So, um, <laughs> So then I started working at the student newspaper, got a job in journalism out of school, but never gave up on that that dream to to write. To, I always, you know, always wanted to write fiction, always was drawn to stories. I like humor. I like romance. It just felt like a natural fit. So I just kept trying and kept trying and, um, you know, probably started and stopped 100 books before I finished one. And um, I just decided I was going to finish one and had a friend of mine who's also an avid reader hold me to task. And I was like, okay, I'm going to finish this one. This is the one I'm going to finish. And I'm like, just check in with me every few weeks and see like, you know, just keep me to task. Like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to be accountable. I need someone to hold me accountable so that I don't give up on this. And uh, she was awesome. She, she, every couple of weeks would ping me like, where's the next chapter? I'm waiting. Hello, I'm waiting. So um, that was, I do, but I don't. That became I do, but I don't. Mm. And, um, you know, then uh, sold it and uh, got an agent, sold it within two years. And another year it was um, a movie. Wow. All right. So when when you first got it, like, let's say you you, you put the pen down, you know, you, you hit the period at the end on the on the laptop. When how long was it before you actually got representation? Like, what what was that process like? Did you have to? Did you have to go to a bunch of publishing houses and look up like, oh, here's Random Hill. I'm going to reach out to them. Like, well, what happens in the publishing, in the traditional publishing world is that most publishing houses will not look at an, at an unrepresented manuscript because they, they won't even accept it. You have to have an agent even just to get in the door. So, so you have to apply to a, a number of agencies. And most of the agencies get hundreds, if not thousands, of submissions a day. It's absolutely mm. – out- I mean, the slush pile, which is what they call it, is so huge. They can't even get to every, you know, every book, every, you know, letter, query letter. So it's very difficult just to get noticed at an agency. Um, you know, I, I, I was lucky. I had, I had two agents interested in representing me. Um, so, but so I, I queried agents for basically a year. Like it took a long time to get some traction and then had two interested in reading uh the full manuscript and then two interested in representing me. Um, I picked one and uh, picked the right one. And uh, then probably it took another year before it was sold to a publisher, but then another year after that before it was actually in print. 
So, you know, when my agent called and was like, okay, we've got a contract with Simon Schuster, I said, oh, great. Can I quit my job? And she's like, oh, no. Oh, gosh, no. Please don't. Please don't quit your job. No, it's going to be like a long time. It's going to be like a year before it's published. And then you're going to, it's probably longer than that before you see like royalties. Like, please don't quit your job. So um, it took, for, for me at least, uh, four novels before I felt kind of safe enough to like, okay, now I'm going to, now I'm going to quit my day job and I'm just going to do this full time. And then a lot of other things happen. (laughs) Which we'll get into, but let's actually talk about, you know, I mean, I do, but I don't, as you said, not only ends up being very successful, which had to have been just exhilarating just to know that so many people are reacting and responding to something you, you did, but then you actually ended up a year later walking onto a movie scene. And I believe you were 29 when the book was published, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, I was so, 29 so you, when it was sold and then 30 when, when it was, was sold. Yeah. Got you. So mm-hmm. in your very, very early thirties, you're yeah. walking into a movie set, yeah. these two gigantic movie stars, not to mention mm-hmm. Charlie Sheen. I don't know if there are any interesting stories there. I'd love to hear. We could, we could certainly pause and go there yeah. for a bit. I'm sure. sure the audience wouldn't mind. Yeah. Were, are there Charlie Sheen yeah. moments? I mean, well, was he yes. there? Yes, he was there. So it's fascinating. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, adaptation with Nicolas Cage. He plays a screenwriter trying to adapt this very difficult book to the screen. And you see him throughout the movie, like at a movie set and people are like, who are you? Like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I'm the writer. And they're like, we don't know you like, you know, keep moving. So it was a little like that when I went to the movie set, because they're like, who are you? What what are you, you know, what are you doing? Like, what's your job? And I'm like, oh, I wrote this. And they're like, oh, oh." I mean, okay. Could you like, I need to get the microphone in here. Like, I need to get the lighting. Like, you know, everyone was very, very kind, but it was a little like, I felt like, okay, this is strange. Um, The, they had director's chairs with my character name on it on, on the back instead of like the actor's names. So it was very surreal. It was like, oh, Mm. there's Lauren and there's Nick. These are two characters I made up and now they have chairs and now they're walking around. It was very, it was very strange, but, um, it was funny. Denise Richards, I, I met her and I met Dean Kane, uh, both very nice. Charlie Sheen was there because they were still married at the time. And, um, the director introduced me to Charlie Sheen and he was carrying, they just had their first child. So he was holding the baby and he was there to fire the nanny because Denise Richards didn't want to do it. So he had flown in to fire the nanny. So I I was like, oh, I'm getting a lot of I'm getting a lot of information, but the funniest thing is that when we first met, this was at the time of right after the Heidi Fly scandal, but before Tiger Blood. So it was like in between his, you mm. know, interesting, you know, peaks in his life or valleys. I don't know how you'd like to put those, but but already when I was introduced to him, I'm like I know too much about you. Like I feel like yeah. I feel like this is very awkward. And I felt for him because I felt like you know, everybody he meets knows so much of his life story mm. already, but he was incredibly kind. He was, was he? He, yeah, he did not. He, he's like, Oh, so nice to meet you. I've seen your book at our house. Denise was reading it, really liked it. Um, the cover art was so good. You know, I, it seems like wow. I've seen that before. Like, do you know the artist? You know, very kind, very ch- like, didn't have to, he's Charlie Sheen. Like he could be like, get out of my face. Like I, you know, <laughs> I I'm famous and whatever, but he was very kind, very magnanimous, you know, very chatty. Is he tall? Like, he is not tall. No, he is not tall. <laughs> How tall is he? I'm curious. Is he really short? Uh, I'd say, I mean, I don't know, maybe five, five six, maybe. Really? You know, maybe. I mean, did you, did you guys know that Sylvester Stallone is only about five, six? Yeah. What? People don't know that. Yeah. yeah. You didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, he was not tall. You're tall. You're taller, babe. 
Thanks. I'm taller than uh, you. Yeah, I am taller than five. Thank you. I didn't get out my tape measure, yeah. but but you, know, you figure yeah. five six, five seven, yeah. somewhere on there. And like every wow. movie star, well, you meet, you they're always they're always like smaller in person, just narrow. You know, n- you know. Well, the camera slimmer, adds yes, ten yes. pounds. For me, it adds fifty. <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal doesn't look very small in person, no. I got to tell you. Right. Well, true, true. Yeah, no. but no. most people. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> so, well, on that note, go ahead, sir. No, I was going to say, once, once your dream of becoming a published author was realized, uh, what were some of like the unexpected turns, twists and turns of the publishing world that you had to like change and adapt to? And, and yeah. how did you take those experiences and like set your foundation for writing in the future. Yeah. Well, um, I came on the scene when um, rom-coms were becoming uh, just very, very popular. Um, it was right after Bridget Jones's Diary and we sort of, and um, Shopaholic and uh, rom-coms were just everywhere. Like everyone wanted them. They were covering the tables. Um, my my publisher and launched Downtown Press, which was a whole line of books that I was part of. Um, and every major publishing house was like launching a line. They're like, this is the new genre. This is how we're going to, I mean, publishing is always like any business looking for that new line of revenue. Like what is going to bring people into the stores? What's going to buy, you know, sell books. And, and for them it was rom-coms, which they called chiclet at the time. Um, but then as happens, sometimes you had a, you had a lot of um, success for a lot of young early 30s, late 20s, you know, f- female writers. And then the backlash came. Like um, there was, well, this isn't serious enough. These books are uh, fluff. This, the, no one should read these because they're, you know, the, these stories are, you know, ab- uh, you know about, um, you know, uh, drunken office parties and silly hookups and things that don't really matter, except that these stories resonated with a lot of women of that time, you know, they, they wanted escapism. They wanted, you know, the, you know, they wanted, um, those stories. And there are a lot of books that are pure escapism. A lot of commercial books are, you know, mysteries. That, uh, that's what I was thinking. I mean, you know, novels, I mean, John right. Grisham is not exactly, you know, right. William Shakespeare. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> and, and hi, you know, there's, there's a, there's a place for literature and, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, artistic work. And then there's also a place for escapism and commercial fun and, you know, all, all the all the things, you know, that we like about storytelling. So there was this there was this backlash. So then the critics started first and then other authors, even even unfortunately, other female authors who felt like they weren't being taken seriously in the literary realm decided, well, in the commercial realm, women shouldn't have success either. <laughs> I don't know. It was very there was just there's there just a lot of talk about it. Then the the readers themselves were like, oh, I I feel bad. I shouldn't have this book out on the train or at the beach or anywhere. I mean, people are going to judge me for reading this, so maybe I shouldn't buy it. And then, you know, sales just went completely, you know. They just tanked. Yeah, they, they, just they tanked. should have done what I do. I just wrap all the books I read in war and pieces out of the cover. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yes. And I look a lot wiser. <laughs> yeah. 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 Except for when people see me reading a book with war and peace on the cover, they're like, that must be like the Cliff Notes version because that thing's like a pamphlet. <laughs> That's right. We think that book is longer. Is yeah. that supposed to be longer? Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't even have Cliff Notes anymore. You know that? I know. Yeah, that's like that, like that thing notes. doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah weird? But I've used that term with my son and he's like, what are Cliff Notes? Yeah. He's like, what do you mean what are Cliff Notes? That's how I graduated high school. <laughs> Exactly. That's what they are. Exactly. Well, unfortunately, now they have chat GPT, yeah. so they don't need any of that. They That's just right. ask. Yeah. Yeah. 
The world is changing. Yes. So, you know, so you you had to deal with that. There was this backlash. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point, your publisher, Simon & Schuster, asked you to try writing some new genres, which yep. I believe you did try. Yes, I did. Um, and uh, how did you feel about that, by the way? Did you feel like you were not being true to yourself and was there was there some sort of internal struggle with doing something that was different than what you intended to do yeah i mean on the one hand i was always open to try new things but on the on the other hand there was a little bit of like well i there there was a lot of fear in that decision making because i think when you've when you've made it then you feel like well i have to just do everything i can to stay here because what happens if I have to take a step back. And so at that time, if I had to do it all differently, I would have done things differently. I probably would have stepped back. I probably would have told myself it's, it's okay. You know, I think, I think so many people and myself included, you're in the moment and you make decisions just for fear of losing something or, you know, um, having a setback that you don't know how to recover from. So when my when my publisher and agent like you know asked me just to just to switch keep switching just keep doing these genres even though I didn't really believe in it even though I wasn't even really that excited about the writing I was doing I was like I have to do this because I can't lose I can't go backward I mean in publishing there's like a hierarchy of authors or published authors there's like the hardback authors that are the most successful then there's trade paperback then there's mass market paperback. And then below that, there's like serial fiction, like, you know, um, the, some Harlequin books, some, you know, mystery series. They're not even, they're not even their independent titles. They're more like, you know, part of the brand of the, the publisher. So you, you know that there's these, this hierarchy. And so if you're, I was a trade paperback, I didn't want to go down to mass market or then below, you know, like what, what happens then? Then you have to meet your other author friends at the, you know, conferences and you have to say, oh, yeah, I started here, but now I'm down here. Yeah. Oh, my first book was a movie, but now, oh, oh gosh, how, and then, and then you get the look of pity. Oh, you know, like how far you fall and like, I'm still in trade or I'm moving up. You know, I mean, it's, there's all of that, but ultimately that really doesn't matter, you know, but in the time in the, in the, um, at the, at the point where you're like paddling water and you're just desperately trying to keep afloat, you're like, I can't, I can't sink. What happens? What happens to me? You know, what, what will I do? Um, so I, I did make the switch. I did decide to do some of those books that maybe in retrospect, I wouldn't have done. You know, if- so let, let's talk about that because I think uh, first of all, I, uh, I I think that it's extremely common to be in moments in one's career where there is an ebb. It's not just going to mm-hmm. be constant flow. Yeah. Uh, and in those moments, particularly when you're in the earlier stages of your career, maybe haven't quite established yourself, maybe you're not quite firmly rooted in who you are yet. Mm-hmm. It's very, I think, understandable and human to lean into counsel that you get from, you know, wiser yeah. elders or certainly people yeah. who are uh, responsible for your livelihood. Mm-hmm. And it is also not uncommon to not want to, if you will, take a step backwards. Although sometimes as we learn as we age, taking a step backwards or taking a step a step sideways yes. is the best thing for us. Oh, uh, but so it's, so it's, it's way easier to conclude in hindsight, almost impossible to see uh, in real time. And you at you know, at the moment you tried that, you gave it a shot, and then Simon Schuster cut ties with you. Mm-hmm. And this was happening at the same time that you were going through a divorce. You had yes. two kids under the age of four. Yes, uh, it had to have been a really scary time. Oh yeah, it it was scary. And I think um, again, like you know, like you're saying, with age, you, things look so much different. You know, at that time, 
I felt like, you know, oh, success with the book, check. Like marriage and kids, check. Like everything's good. Like my life's set. Like I've achieved things. And then one by one, those things started, you know, I, I lost those things. I was like, what's what's happening? Like this, I, I don't know, you know, what to do next. Like, and, and with the divorce, it became a very real issue of not just pride of like going to the book conferences and saying like, oh, what are you working on? What's your new project? But it was literally, how am I going to go to the grocery store and buy groceries? You know, how am I going to pay rent? Like I you know, what, what, am, how am I going to make sure these kids, you know, are, are taken care of? Um, so it was a very bleak, a very scary time. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it was definitely humbling as well, because I just felt like, you know, it, there's, you can look back and say there's, there's some immaturity where you just feel like, well, I've, I've achieved it now. I don't have to do, I can just coast the rest of my life. I don't have to do anything else. But as we all know, there's never coasting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That doesn't exist. I, I, yeah. You you gave us a quote and I, I want to read it uh in its entirety. It's 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 a little long, but it's from your your pre-questionnaire. And I, I just thought this would be helpful to the audience to hear and for you to talk about it. You wrote, and I quote, I sold items I didn't need on eBay. I asked old colleagues of previous jobs for freelance work. I asked my agent to get me work, any work. I did not turn my nose up at any assignment. I wrote novelizations for Hallmark. I ghost wrote. I wrote straight series romance for Harlequin. Everything had value, and I needed cash to put food on the table, as you just said. And I, I have this question for you. And, I, and by the way, I've I've had those moments in my career, and some not that borrow not that long ago mm-hmm. um after accomplishing what many would say would be great accomplishments i again found myself eating the humble pie and, yeah. and you know and uh, you are an author you know all about inner dialogue tell us what your inner dialogue was i mean uh, did, uh, did you feel sorry for yourself yeah. did, did, did i mean how did you deal with this humble pie situation yeah you know i think i mean everybody feels i i think having a pity party for a little while for a short time perfectly understandable. And I, you know, I, I, there were, there were times where, you know, I, I did feel sorry for myself, but I think the key, the key to moving on is to not wallow in that, not, not let, let yourself acknowledge it. I'm, I feel bad for myself. This is a terrible, I didn't do, do anything to deserve this. Like, this is terrible. Like, you know, but at the same time, after you acknowledge it, put it aside because it's like you acknowledge it and then you're like, but now I have to, I have to work. I have to get to work. I have to dig myself out of this hole. I have to, you know, um, at, at that time, um, having kids was, was, you know, uh, a burden and a blessing because it was like, I have to, I have to pull myself up for them. You know, like forget me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't just, you know, wallow in pity and have a pity party all day. And, you know, they're counting on me. You know, I, I have to do something. Um, so I, I think the the mindset is, yeah, this sucks. Acknowledge it, you know, then put it down. What can I do? What are some steps I can do right now? You know, what is in my control and what is outside of my control? Like, you know, fate or luck or these things are outside of my control. But what can I do? I can call my agent. I ask her for work. I can, I can call the colleagues I worked with and ask them for freelance work. I can, you know, these are concrete steps I can do little by little and maybe, or sell things on eBay. Like this is small, but at the same time, you know, that was cash ready at hand when sometimes I needed it. Um, And I think what was interesting about that time is that 
you know, at the time I was in it, it felt like humble pie. But looking back, I was like a lot of those assignments, I took the novelization of, at, for Hallmark movies. You know, some of these assignments that, you know, five years before I would have, you know, said, oh, that's beneath me, w- turned out to be incredibly helpful in terms of learning a deeper writing craft, like, like you know, becoming a better writer. Like this, this was a kind of practice that all writers don't get. And, um, you know, I, I feel like actually pretty fortunate that I, that I got those assignments. They paid me. I put food on the table and I got better, you know? So, I mean, it was ultimately a win-win. A lot of, a lot of gratitude. Yes. Which is always wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Very, very, very grateful. You know, Tom, when I was, when we were talking and and I was like, you know, we really should have Kara on. Um, I thought it was going to be more about her cheering how you know how awesome I am? But <laughs> he is amazing. Not, no, That's we'll a whole that. other You're podcast. Patience, my friend. Yes, <laughs> yes, but, seriously. But um, I think it's a very interesting look at entrepreneurialism at its core because a lot of times people, you know, they get an idea and they're like, "Hey, you know, I can do that, but I can do it better." Or what if this doohickey did something else and it, it helped a different problem out there that I want to solve. And those are all excellent reasons for entrepreneurialism. In her case, it was, I need to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. I need to create something now that's going to, that's going to uh, fulfill not only food for my, my children's tummies, but also uh, help me create the kind of life that you wanted at that time. And so like you, you created edit my novel. So you, you took, mm-hmm. you took um, not only all the history that you had in writing, but in your, in your English degree from an Ivy league school, but you're also like, how can I ap- uh, apply these, these learnings and this knowledge to something that uh, again, feeds my kids, but also allows me to be home. And yeah. right. Cause you mm-hmm. could have, you could have gone and, and worked for, for anybody and, had the office job and done the nine to five, but you were, you were very adamant about wanting to be there for your kids, especially since now you are divorced and yeah. you don't have a partner who can pick up the slack mm-hmm. um, at that time. So I think that, that it, I think it's just a, it's a something to shine a little light on, on this podcast because you know, everyone, all the entrepreneurial journeys are different and, and all of the, all of the reasons for doing that are a little bit different. Um, when, and look, PJ, you know, the, the, the journey of uh, female entrepreneurs, especially ones oh, that are yeah. mothers, and mm-hmm. even more so those who are single, uh, you know, who are mm-hmm. not uh, partnered, uh, don't get enough uh, attention. I think when, when we talk about business and the journey of, uh, you know, uh, a typical, so-called typical person tends to gloss over uh, the experience of those that don't come with the support system of having someone mm-hmm. at home who's taking care of their kids uh, and having a second income to fall back on mm-hmm. that I think is, is, you know, it's in, in many ways, the degree of courage required to do that is even higher than the degree of courage required to be in, you know, an entrepreneur that, that has that support system. Yeah. Um, so, so on many levels, you know, you could say, well, I need to put food on the table, but like you said, if putting food on the table was the only consideration, there are other ways to do that. Yeah. You chose a certain path and I'd love to understand a little bit more about the inception of edit my novel. Yeah. Uh, first of all, how, you know, you made that decision, you, you, you know, up to that point, you're an author. Um, and now you're, you're not just an author, you're a business person. You need to go out there and, 
you were marketing yourself. Now you're mm -hmm. marketing your services. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, how did you balance your life, your own writing, you know, in this business? And again, when we're young, we're able to do things that seem unimaginable oh, sure. uh, as, as we look back, right? So as you look back at it now, I, I, I'm sure you're probably shaking your head in wonderment that you were able to make it happen. But wh from what you recall, what, what was that journey like? Yeah, you know, it was, it was there was not a lot of sleep in that journey, um, because I had two small kids. Um, I uh, was was and and not a lot of family nearby either. Right, because all your family is in Texas. In Texas, and how, right. how old how old were the girls? Uh, when I for, probably three and two, three and two. So really yeah, small, really small. Yeah, and uh, three, almost four and two, and and so that's just you know as you know I mean it's just they're 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 going all the time so during nap times, after they went to sleep. So most of my real work happened from like 7.30 at night to like one or two in the morning. Like that's when I was working because they were sleeping and I knew they would sleep. So that's when I worked. And then during the day, um, they had some like preschool programs so that, you know, uh, they, could, they could go to that. And then I had a, a wonderful babysitter that would, would come in for a couple of hours. But in that two hours, I would have to do six or eight hours of work, you know, I'd be very focused. Um, but it was really just the no sleep. It was the no sleep. And then, um, you know, uh, just, just trying to figure out because with edit my novel, um, one of the interesting barriers at the beginning was just understanding that that service had worth because, um, going through being cut from Simon Schuster it was like, oh, I guess I'm worthless. You know, I guess my my writing isn't worth anything, and they don't think it's worth anything. And you know, and pitching stories that weren't getting uh, book contracts, I'm like, well, am I worth anything? And it was it was having to take a step back and say, well, no, I've I've you know published all these novels with Simon Schuster. One was a movie. Like I I know you know what it takes to to make a good novel. It's just that for whatever reason, I can't find the right editor right now. But so then getting past that mental block. And then deciding why not? Why not put my services out there? Why not try to help other people? Um, and and thankfully, uh, there was no overhead. You know, it was about getting a domain and a website and paying Google Ads. What I could manage. You know, so mm -hmm. it was a lot of trial and error. Um, and then over time, like after a year or two, I started getting. Um, you know, clients that, that really liked working with me and they would recommend me to their friends. And, you know, suddenly it was like a, a business that was, that was going, that was, you know, um, a steady source of income. So, um, in that way, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. A question on that. So as, as you're working with authors and I, I've, I've done some editing, um, I actually initially my career expected to be in journalism. I, I didn't expect to be in business. I ended up going into business. And what I found difficult is that people submit work to you and it's no good. And, yes. And, 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 <laughs> yes. and it's really hard to tell them it, that it's yes. not. Yes, yes. Um, and if your business is to edit people's novel, obviously, ultimately, the objective is not just to edit a novel or write a novel, it's to get it published. Uh, do you find it, I mean, are you rejecting manuscripts or are you not working with authors when you think the uh, their odds of getting published are... Slim, I guess nowadays you can self-publish, but you know, what's, yeah. what's, what's your thinking around that? Yeah. You know, I, my motto is, um, to be honest, but never cruel. So I think mm -hmm. there's a way of being honest with someone about, about their writing without 
completely destroying their dreams. You know, I, I, I think well, there's... some of these dreams need to be destroyed. I know, well... Because I, I have seen some of these. Part, part, of, part, of my approach, <laughs> part of my approach has always been, I'm going to take this manuscript as seriously as you did. Even if the premise is outlandish, even if the writing is, is not very good, I'm going to take it as seriously as you took it, and I'm going to give you serious advice. And sometimes that, that advice varies from, um, you know, we really need to look at mechanics of writing and just the grammar of putting the sentence together, you know, because these are the building blocks of writing, you know, and you can, you can say that in a way that's not like you're terrible. It's like there, there, you can, you can, at least I try to, to emphasize the positives. Like this is a very creative premise. You know, the care, that character was very interesting and, you know, well thought out. We just need to work on grammar and we need to work on punctuation and we need to work on you know these things maybe really... you shouldn't write your novel in english yeah <laughs> right Tal, we need to work on I, have, these things. I have seen complete manuscripts that have no punctuation yeah I've there are those no no too. paragraphs i've gotten those too it's yeah. just full-on pages of just copy yeah that i think the, ted i think ted kaczynski did that with uh you know the unabomber <laughs> that was kind of his thing right but at least he wasn't talking in his i'm assuming in that entire dissertation that he put out there that um there, there wasn't a dialogue in there about he said she said right right where there should be quotations and what character is saying what <laughs> right right it's yeah, yeah. It, it's a lot i've seen i've seen well I've seen you know the, the point there and and to, just to, to to take that point and extrapolate that into business at large it's not uncommon in business no matter what business you're in uh to be dealing with clients whose um style whose uh sense of uh, what's attractive and not attractive or what makes sense and doesn't make sense is very different than your own. Um, you know, if you're designing someone's website and they're, they're, you know, <laughs> they like certain colors and you think that yeah. they look horrible, ultimately it's their website. Yep. So I guess in certain, certain lines of business, you know, your job, and I love how you said it, your job's taken as seriously as they take it. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. if you're, if you're in the audience and your, your business services, customers, who's, you know, uh, sense of what's attractive or what's what what compel what's compelling or what resonates is different than your own the best thing you could do is obviously you could choose to turn away the business but if you're choosing not to turn away the business don't feel i i, I think don't feel like you're uh cheating yourself or cheating them so long as you're taking the work as seriously as they are and uh putting yourself in a position where you're wearing their hat to the extent you can to add as much value as possible you're clean, right? I mean, it sounds like mm-hmm. that's your that's that's your thesis at a- least. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's about giving my my honest opinion uh, about how I think they can make this book better, and then, but ultimately, no, it's their call. It's their it's their project. It's their book. They can take some advice. They can they can discard some advice. It's it's ultimately up to them. I just take it seriously. So, you know, I, I don't dismiss somebody about like, well, that premises would never fly. You know, like, well, this is the premise they want. I'm taking it seriously. So how do we make it the best it can be? So, yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. So with the rom-com resurgence, because we're back, baby. Back. <laughs> back. Chicklet was dead and now it's everywhere. No, no, no. It's yes. been revitalized. Re- renamed and revamped. All yes. right. Awesome. So now that we're back into... A genre. What's that, the new name? It's it's not chiclet. I think anymore? it's just rom. I think there's just rom. I think it's just rom. Just rom com. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So uh, and now that it's back, which we're all very very happy about, you've seen this genre come full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it been like for you to return to your roots this time? 
And, uh, you know, since, since you've seen this journey that you've been on, how is it, how is it a second time? How's it feeling? Yeah, it feels fantastic. It feels fantastic. It's, uh, I don't, don't think I appreciated it enough the first time because, Mm. um, not that it was necessarily things came very easy, but it just, I, I didn't know things would get hard. (laughs) So it was like, oh, this is just, I can write whatever I want and I'll always have a book contract and this is great. And, uh, understanding that those things are fleeting and that getting to write exactly what you want to write is rare. It's mm. not something that every writer gets to do. So having this opportunity to write something I love writing and um, I started writing uh, is such a privilege. I'm really grateful uh, that I get to do it. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's more fun this time because I know no matter what, it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, like no matter, you know, if it's if it's wildly popular, great. If it's a movie, great. If it's not, fine. Like you know, I'll I'll adapt and reinvent, and I'll keep writing. Beautiful. Well, maybe you can get Gal Gadot, who I believe is uh, PJ's right. Hall Pass. <laughs> That's right. In one of That's your movies. Right. All you got to do is add an Israeli secret agent, right? <laughs> Maybe I should. Maybe I'll go. I'll go yeah, spy thriller go. romance. Well, <laughs> spy thriller romance yeah. comedy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it can Maybe. be done. Can't be. True lies. There you go. If That's anybody right. can do it, Kara can. Do it. Oh my gosh! Absolutely. <laughs> Too Absolutely. kind. Too kind. Oh well, what can I say? <laughs> I. I uh, <laughs> I, 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 we need to pivot, and, and you know, we've been talking about uh, what's going well, and one thing that has caught you off guard, but fortunately, mm-hmm. you guys are dealing with it head on, is your diagnosis of breast cancer. Uh, I believe the statistics are that one of less than four women, so one in more than three, less than four uh, women, will be diagnosed with uh, breast cancer in their lives, mm-hmm. uh, which is a shocking number. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been following your journey, talking to PJ, I myself, as PJ, I'm sure I shared with you was, was there, uh, my ex-wife of 20 plus years, Maria was diagnosed with breast cancer very, very early in our marriage. Our mm. son was only one, Oof. uh, my, our, our two daughters, my daughters from our first marriage, which were who, whom we were raising together were six and four. Mm. Uh, and it was very, very difficult. Fortunately, 20 some odd years later, she's doing wonderfully. Um, Tell, you know, what, what are you comfortable sharing about, about this part of your journey? And it's come at a time when, you know, from a professional standpoint, you're on a resurgence, uh, yeah. you have a great new book that's coming out in January. Um, how have you been, you know, I mean, that's gotta be the dichotomy between your, your blossoming again professionally, and then you're dealing with this personally. Yes. Um, yeah. What can you share with the audience about that? Yeah. You know, it's just, I, I think it's just, um, a reminder that, I mean, this is life. Life is a lot of curveballs, and even no matter how well you plan and and how you prepare, uh, things come out of left field. And this is just one of those, one of those things. And it's been um, it's been difficult, but I've been incredibly lucky to have this man oh. in my life as an amazing partner. He has mm-hmm. he has gone to every single doctor's appointment with me. He canceled his barbecue competition in Kansas City. Um, his, his fishing trip with his oldest friends. Um, he has just, just to make sure he was there at the MRI. And, you know, I have always felt like this is a, it was a journey that I'm just so glad I did not have to take alone because it's scary and horrible. And to have uh, this amazing man here by my side, 
uh, right after the, you know, after um, the operation, um, the double mastectomy in, in November, uh, he took amazing care of me. And it was, you know, I was just so grateful. So, so grateful. The bill's it, coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all the trips i get i get back-to-back fishing trips for yeah. life <laughs> yeah oh thanks i like yeah. that idea <laughs> yeah. it's it's um you know she she mentions about life-throwing curveballs and and once i read a quote that i think um was basically like if life throws you a curveball turn it into a home run yeah right mm-hmm. and you have it's a lot harder than it sounds i mean i played yeah. you know semi-pro baseball and if I could hit the curveball, I would have made it all the way. Right? <laughs> yeah, Curveballs sure. are hard to hit. Yes. That's true in life yes. and in baseball. You're, you're, yeah. you're talking to a guy that, um, I don't know if it was a first but in T-ball history, but I believe I struck out and hit a home run in the same game in T-ball. <laughs> in T-ball. So uh, there mm. were no curveballs. If one was thrown, <laughs> trust me, never would the ball meet the bat. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, when when life gives you – the hanging curveball, hopefully yeah. you take advantage of it, right? And and you turn that negativity into something that's positive. And what I have seen amidst all the terror that yeah, comes with terrifying. this. And it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Just, you know, all of a sudden now you're talking about life chances and percentages, which mm-hmm. never was as as a part of your your dialogue before, which is terrible. Um, you know, you you gotta it, it really kind of refocuses everything. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, what bothered me yesterday doesn't mean anything today. And today it's all about making sure that this amazing light never dims and tries to, you know, we, d- we do everything that we can to make sure that uh, she's as healthy as possible for as long as possible. And let's get past this and, uh, yeah. you know, enjoy yeah. our lives and kick some ass together. That's That's what it's all about. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think the, you know, it's an, I've got the new book coming out in January and now I'm not sure if I can do some of the book launch events and, and that's been kind of a bummer, but like at the same time, you know, when you can always have a perspective shift and there's no, I point. have an idea, PJ, yeah. we should do live episodes from venues where she, the book event uh, is supposed to go. She could join <laughs> us on video. What oh yeah, think? there you go. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Why not? It, it uh, could be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Live from bookends. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's. But yeah. You, you know, I'll tell you, I, I, I have, you know, been watching you guys from afar and, uh, you know, I, I've been communicating with PJ a lot about this and, uh, and, and, and I shared with him, I, look, obviously at, at a time when your partner is going through something like that, all the attention appropriately is on the person that needs care. That is how it should be. At the same time, what I uh, experienced as the spouse of someone who was diagnosed, which was, what was at the time, stage 3B. And so uh, she was, her odds of survival were in the 20% range. And it makes me emotional to even say that. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about our young children yeah. and, and what, what she did so during hard. that time was yeah. she video recorded herself speaking to our children. Oh man. So that they, they would have that, uh, they would have a record oh. of her feeling feelings about them. Um, so it was at the time it was extremely gut wrenching. And I, I also felt that there was very little attention to, 
what I was going through from anyone outside of her. She was very attentive, as you are, uh, to making sure that I uh, felt okay, mm-hmm. uh, as as okay as I could. And obviously, the attention belonged where it belonged, and there was no doubt about that. And I would say, if you happen if you happen to be someone that's uh, the spouse of of a, someone going through very difficult times from a health standpoint, whether it's cancer or something else, take care of yourself. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, the day of your surgery, you know, I, I took the time to remind PJ to breathe. And I know that sounds kind of silly, yeah. but actually breathing, deep breathing, drinking water, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. oh, you, you said forget. water. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I thought you meant water. bourbon. Yeah. Oh, shoot. <laughs> well, you know, liquid. Liquids. Uh, <laughs> That's right. But but all kidding aside, the man loves you, you know, way way more than he loves himself. It's uh Aww. and 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 it's it's lovely to watch and I'm uh I'm I'm so so grateful that you know the news so far seems to be very good. Yeah. Uh knock on wood, this is gonna be a bump in the road uh, yeah. for you guys. That's what I'm hoping for. And I, you know, I think you're right about spouses because I, I have said to him many through this whole journey, uh how how more difficult I think it is for him than me because I just, I can do things. I can, I can exercise. I can go, you know, get treatment. I can, I can mentally prepare myself to fight. But when you're on the sidelines and you're just watching your spouse go through and you're trying to be supportive, but you feel like you don't, you know, have any agency. Like you just, you know, you're just in the cheering section, but everything is just as terrifying, you know? So um, so you're right. If you're if your uh, spouses don't get enough credit and enough support, I think for yeah. what they're going through. No. Yeah. Look, all I and th- there are there are now support groups for men, which I you know mm-hmm. didn't really exist uh, t- 24 yeah. years, 22 years ago. Um, I if you're out there, seek them out. Yeah. Don't don't try to deal with this on your own. This is no different than any serious crisis in your life. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you you are possibly not equipped to deal with it and process it. It's traumatic. Mm-hmm. And any trauma requires processing. Any trauma that you don't process stays in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my significant other is a psychotherapist and and her specialty is trauma. And that's what she would tell you. If you don't deal with it, it's not going anywhere. It's staying with you. Um, and, it, you know, if you're obviously if you're uh, if you deeply, deeply love someone and you're watching them go through something that potentially could take them away from you, it's terrifying. Yes. Yeah. Terrifying. Oh, yes. And 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 you can't even really... <laughs> Do what you would normally do when you're terrified, which is go to your partner. Yeah. Right. And, and, <laughs> yes. And commiserate, right? I mean, yes. it's, it's one of these very, you know, surreal moments in your life where you're feeling enormous angst and mm-hmm. in all probability don't have an outlet for it. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I, for, for me, I just look at this like uh, it's kind of like the ice chips when your wife is giving birth. Right, like all you can do is kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of be there. She's going through something terrible and wonderful at the same time, but but yeah. very traumatic. And you know, there's many other people who are way brighter than you and and more professional than you in this realm. And and you know, you're just kind of like standing by the side, trying to be as supportive as possible with the ice chips. Like, here you go, honey. <laughs> are you thirsty? Here's an ice chip. And um, in fact, do you remember that? Do you remember when you came out of surgery? The ice chips? 
I don't remember the ice chips. Oh, yeah, it was a little, a little groggy. A little groggy. Oh, that was his favorite part. He gave you ice chips. <laughs> I know it was. I remember it. I know. It was like, the only, it was like my only thing. That was my it's, thing. It's, she, took it. she took it from me. That was my thing. <laughs> he had the cup. He had the ice chips. I he know. was ready. I believe it. I believe it. You said they were fantastic. The best so, ice chips I've ever yeah, had. Yes. Uh, I'll say you that. Did. You did say that, actually. <laughs> but it's like one of those things where like, when everything's out of your control, control what you can. right? And so it's just that little, yeah. that little bit that helps you focus on that. And just try to give comfort wherever you can, yeah. you know, because at the end of the day, my main thing, how I'm going to get through this is her getting through this yeah. and, right. and her being okay. And then I'm just delving and, and focusing everything I can on that so that mm-hmm. at the end of the day, hopefully we both will benefit from that. Yeah. Just, just don't let, you know, just remember though, um, you don't want to switch. You don't want to only do that to switch sides because you didn't take care of yourself during that time. Yeah, so true. remember, true. take care of yourself. To yeah. sleep, to hydrate, to breathe, yeah. to, to do whatever it is that you That's need to true. do to self to regulate, so that you don't end up on the other side of the bed. Uh, but you know, there's a proverb that you you share with us in in the pre interview, which is you fall down seven times, get up eight, uh, mm-hmm. which which I love. Yeah. Um. And and I feel like you know you you embody a lot of the principles that braving business is all about, which is you know resilience. I mean, the common denominator almost every episode is the. The, the folks who we've had on have, for the most part, accomplished incredible things. I mean, you've sold an incredible number of books. We've had artists that have sold millions or, in some cases, billions of records. We've had people that have made billions of dollars. Yeah. But in every case, what they had in common was wow. the ability to get up mm-hmm. again and mm-hmm. again and again. Yes. Regardless of the challenge, they were unwilling to accept defeat. Yeah. Talk to me about that. I mean, you know, you have faced high highs, but also some low lows, yes. yeah. which is actually in many ways harder, right? If you've constantly failed, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it's arguably, you don't know what you're missing out on, but you did, you knew what it was like to mm-hmm. accomplish huge things. Then you're down trying to get back up. It's actually easier. I think at that point to say, yeah, Fuck it. I, right? I, you know, I, 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 it's not going to happen for me anymore. And I'm just going to do what I need to do. But you refuse to do that. What, what is, what would you share with, with our audience are the one or two things, the two, one or two principles that just, you know, I mean, there, yes, there's the part of it that's about, I have to, I have to get up, I have kids, mm-hmm. et cetera. But what is it on the inside, the inner drive mm-hmm. that kept you pushing forward and getting up time and time again from the canvas. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think the the most important thing is to not let failure define you. I don't think everyone fails. Absolutely everybody. Yeah. Every everyone, entrepreneur fails. Everybody gets knocked down. It's really how you get up, how you get up and what you do with it. I mean, or whether you get up, whether I mean, you get up, how first you got to get up. Yeah, yeah, first you have to get up, and and there are a lot of there are a lot of ways to do that. Um, for me. I, I've found, um, quite honestly, counseling very helpful. Like during that divorce time, that very dark time, I had an amazing counselor who helped reframe the problem, you know, in a way that helped me, you know, become mentally stronger, you know, and, and able to, to see things differently and get up. Uh, and then I, I was very fortunate uh, to be able to go back to her with my cancer diagnosis. And she did the same thing for me of reframing the problem. Because I think sometimes, at least for me, I will say, like, what did I do? What did I do wrong? I did something wrong. 
That's why I failed. <laughs> like, and focus on all the things I did wrong. And then she can just switch the lens a little bit. Well, like, well, what, what are you doing right? You know, what, what can you can continue to do right? Like, what, what are the things you can do so that you have less regret next time? You know, and so it's just, it's, it's that little shift that helps you get to a point where you're like, oh, I don't have to sit on the ground and sitting on the ground silly. <laughs> Why would I just not get up? Of course I'm going to get up. Look at all the things I can do. Look at all the, the ways I can, things I can try, you know? Um, so for me, that's helped. So, so the two things I heard there was, uh, seeking support mm -hmm. and whether, you know, in your case, it was a therapist and mm -hmm. I think therapy's very valuable. I've used it in my life. Mm -hmm. But in any event, whether that's the, that's the path you choose, just not doing it on your own. Yeah, seeking support from someone who is not going to uh, wallow with you mm -hmm. in self pity, mm -hmm. but help you do the second thing I heard you say, which is reframe. Yes, uh, and the the significance of reframing is not it it is not about telling yourself lies. It's right. about telling yourself other truths. Exactly. That, exactly. that give you a different way to both assess where you stand and determine what your next steps need to be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you get so focused on what went wrong that you often don't see what went right. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. you know, if you, if you want to replicate the success you did have, you know, you're going to have to see that. And sometimes it's hard. It is hard. Some, sometimes you're so wrapped up in the failure, in the fact, or sometimes you're so wrapped up in what you're doing, and when it fails, you're just attached to it. So if mm -hmm. that failed, I failed. Mm -hmm. And it does take a lot of intentional reframing to be able to say, all right, well, you know what, though? Sure, it failed, but it was actually very successful at the time, or whatever it was. Um, that that type of intentional reframing is, is ultimately very helpful. Well, it's the only way um, because, frankly, the alternative is wallowing in self-pity. It's yeah. about telling yourself why you didn't succeed and why you won't succeed again. I think the benefits of reflection and reframing, it's about positioning yourself to get back up off the canvas. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, part of getting up is 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 – Sure, you can. You need someone to give you a hand up, and I'm 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 imagining a boxer that's been knocked down on the canvas, and you know what? A boxer, the only thing that stands above him is a referee counting him down. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that feels that way in life. Okay, mm -hmm. you you do have to get yourself up, and ultimately that's an inside job. But being willing and able to lean into whatever resources are there for you, the people in your corner, to to stay with this uh, analogy, uh, just stagger to the bell. And and regroup, yeah. You know, yeah. sit back on that that stool, and listen to the people that know you or that have your best interests at heart, and then catch your breath, get back up on your feet, get your fists back up, and get back in there. Mm -hmm. That's really the only option. I mean, the alternative, given given that life doesn't stop, <laughs> yeah. uh, you don't have the luxury of. I mean, sure, you could do it, but if your objective is to rise, and not to remain, you know, stuck in the past, right? Uh, if your objective is to get moving again, then fall down seven times, get up eight is not just a motto. It's the only option. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Very well. And played. you know what else is the only option? The only option is to see Keanu Reeves. <laughs> 
which I know you guys just did this weekend yes! uh, or last weekend. I know you're a super fan of Keanu Reeves, and yes. I did not know he was also a musician, or yeah. at least he stands on stage. <laughs> I don't know. Does he have a guitar? Does he sing? He what does he, he plays do? Bass. He plays bass. He's the for Dog Star. Bass, yes, yes. Uh, that's a, that's the hardest instrument to play because it's 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 so ungratifying. I don't know I, to to be the basis is to appreciate that you won't have. The limelight. You're not the singer. You're not the it's guitarist. My You're it's not my favorite the, instrument in a rock band. It's the bass. It it's it is. It's, it's a, the backbone. But you, without it, there's no. It is the backbone, right? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, you tell us about how you know seeing other people in their craft uh, brings you joy and inspiration, and how you bring that into your work and life, and also. How did you end up with Keanu Reeves as your whole path? <laughs> well, I have been a Keanu fan for well over 30 years. Like I, old school, like old school Keanu. Thanks for aging us all. Yeah, I know. All right. <laughs> I know. But I have been a super fan. And throughout my life, people have poo-pooed my, my fandom. They've been like, oh, Keanu, God, like why, why? Like, and I'm like, because he's amazing. What are you talking about? Like he's, he's a great storyteller. He's uh, he he works super hard. He's like one of the best stunt people, stunt actors I know. Like you know, he's not only has one major franchise like the Matrix. Is that true? We should ask Rich Hopkins, PJ, whether whether he's truly any good. Oh yeah, well we should, but I I guarantee yeah. you, Rich will agree. Good, right? Yeah. If you ever see, does he do his stuff, own? I I'm oh, not. Yeah. I didn't know that. If you ever yeah. see any of the stuff oh. that he's done with uh, with all those John Wick movies, that whole and Kung Fu, yeah, the amount of the amount of physicality that's in that mm-hmm. is. Nuts! It's yeah. crazy. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So okay, I you know I didn't know he did it, so I, I no, wasn't yeah, as did. appreciative. I'll have he to does. watch again. It's very cool. So that so it was a dream come true to see him in person. I was so excited. <laughs> I was so excited. We bought the tickets before the cancer diagnosis, so it felt just like an amazing reprieve. Just a you, you don't have to think about cancer tonight. Tonight is just Keanu. It was amazing. Well, all right. So Keanu uh, and PJ, who was of with course, you, so of never course. just Keanu. She has, she has course, no idea course. I was even there. No, so, that's not the, true. I kept looking behind me. I'm like, where'd he go? Where'd he go? Because he was always he was running off to the merch tent to buy more shirts. Yeah, and I'd be like, where where is he? Where'd he yeah, go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, look. First of all, um, I have never seen anyone personify being on cloud nine. <laughs> Like she was being in that room with Keanu Reeves. Like she was immensely satisfied. <laughs> I was just very so happy to see him. That's all. Yes. I've never I'm seen her that happy. I'm always happiest to see you. She was really happy right? when You've we got married. You've never seen her that happy. She Holy was really cow. happy right. when we got married, but I don't think she was I was. Happy. I was happier when we got married, of <laughs> course. Know, and when you when kidding. you asked me to marry you, I was I was more than cloud you, nine. You were, Is there a cloud 10 or 11? That's, that's why not? Right. I think there is. I yeah. think it's a kind of toilet paper that's called Cloud Eleven or something like yeah, that. Yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, sure. I, but she she was she was just unbelievably happy, which was awesome. But it also made me slightly thankful that my proposal idea didn't come true. <laughs> I know. Because when I proposed to Kara, yeah. I reached out. I found who Keanu Reeves' agent was. And I was going, I devised this plan to have, just give me, give me three minutes, have Keanu on the phone, have her talk to, have him talk to Kara and then talk about a proposal that I was going to do. Right. (laughs) I had this whole, this whole thing mapped out. Couldn't because he was in like Cairo or wherever he was. Filming John Wick 3. John Wick 3. Yeah. So it didn't work out, but now I'm glad because seeing her just be in the room with this guy. (laughs) 
she would not have heard anything about the proposal. She just would have been like checked out. Well, and I told you at the time, you don't need Keanu. This is all I need right here. Everyone needs a little Keanu, I guess. (laughs) Well, look, I, I, I think my takeaway from that is if you're a member of the audience and you're thinking about proposing, PJ is available to join you on the phone and (laughs) and help with the proposal. That's what I heard there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Heck yeah, I'll do it. Okay. Yeah, but are they, you doing it for free or are you going to charge for it? Am I, am I a cameo? Am I doing a George Santos cameo? Yeah, yeah George, George Santos, who, by the way, uh, the thing about George Santos is really funny is, he, you know, people usually have a, uh, a cameo from someone that's, you know, wishing them a happy birthday. But he's insisting it's his birthday, which is really weird. <laughs> yeah, not you surprised. Know? It's my birthday. Yeah. And hey, move out of your house. That's because right. It's, it's mine. I Give me it. all your credit card numbers. Thank you. <laughs> Well, you know what, PJ, you saying awesome there uh, is a great segue to my my last question to Kara, which is, uh, you know, we we have gotten a lot of fan mail for PJ's, and I quote, childlike enthusiasm, which I think uh, I think is good. I think it's meant as a compliment. Yeah, I, don't I know, was going to say, does that mean I'm like mentally challenged? Is <laughs> no. this, uh, are you saying children youthful, are mentally challenged because cause they're enthusiastic? No, you know, youthful seeing a, seeing anything through the eyes of a child is. It, it's magical. That's very cool. Yes, you know? it is. It is. All right, fine. So, okay. I, I think it's meant as a compliment. I certainly, when I say it to you, mean as a compliment. I think that your ability to be wide-eyed is one of the most beautiful things about you. And you're a beautiful person in so many mm-hmm. ways. But that's one of the things I, I really enjoy about you. And, uh, and I'd love for Kara to share with the audience what, what you know, any story that would thoroughly embarrass PJ would be fantastic. <laughs> But but anything endearing. I mean, what attracted you to the PJ? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's Thank the obvious. Thank you for your time. The this has been great. <laughs> really been no. uh, really been good having you on the on this, babe. So we we met on the app Bumble, and Bumble is mm-hmm. like a, a, a feminist. Aaron and I met on Bumble. That's oh, yeah. there you go. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we met on Bumble, and in Bumble, as you know, uh, the woman has to send the first message. Yes, and mm-hmm. I had I had not been on Bumble that long, and I and before that had had just a bunch of. Just terrible dates and relationships on uh, Match.com, and uh, you know this is my first app, dating app. Anyway, so I was used to reaching out to people, and I would try to say something about the photo they're in. Oh, I see you like to travel to the mountains. Like, where did you go? And did you have a good time? Or, oh, I see you know you like to go to the beach. Like, what's you know where were you? Did you have a good time? You know, um, and with him, he had on a shirt that had Darth Vader, but it looked like the Scarface poster. So. Was a li- you know it wasn't just Darth Vader it was you know oh, had Darth some Vader was gravitas yes yes mm. so when I when I sent him a message I said um, so you know when you're not you know converting people over to the dark side what do you like to do nice. for nice what do you like to do for fun well all right and I was expecting because every message I'd ever gotten back is even to a question is like hey I mean that's not an answer to my question <laughs> that's not a conversation sup. Well, you know. yeah. So to, to preface this, I had also been on the dating apps and I have found that there is a, uh, there's just a communication gap somewhere out there because I'd be like, you know, Hey, it's, it's Friday. It's going to be in the sixties, downtown Chicago. It's going to be beautiful this weekend. You know, like what, what are your plans? And they'd be, they write back literally like sup. Hi. Like, okay. Did you not read everything I just asked? So like it was getting, getting conversations was just kind of hard and I was getting frustrated with the whole dating part. Like I, I'd met some, some very nice people, but clearly not at the end of the day, it just wasn't going to work out from, from a long-term thing. So I was like, I was just kind of getting done with it. And I had just seen star Wars 
with my son, the, the new revamp, uh, the force awakens. We, so I was totally up on my lore. So now that I don't care about the dating and when I get her message and she's like, Hey, you know, you like to pull people over to the dark side or whatever, you know, what do you like to do for fun? I wrote her as Darth Vader. It was awesome. So <laughs> I wrote her and I was, word for PJ. yeah, and I was awesome. like, I was like, well, you know, normally I like to build death stars, but these scabs blew one up and then I built a big one. They blew it up again. I said, but <laughs> at least my, at least my grandson killed my son-in-law because that guy was a prick. <laughs> and right. Cause I'm like, I'm just done with it. Like, here, here you go. That's yeah. It. And I was, uh, about to go to dinner with a friend of mine and and she's like are you ready i'm like no hold on hold on no i gotta answer this this is this is a live one i got a live one <laughs> and so we went back and forth as star wars characters for uh a while a while to the point where we had to both say hey we're not like super geeky star wars fans. i don't i don't have a stormtrooper <laughs> outfit in my closet i don't yeah i'm not boba fett at comic-con like <laughs> yeah. i i think you know given that story i i i I think you should buy one and I think that you should do an anniversary themed on that where you could be with the princess Leia. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I could be Jabba the Hutt. You could be princess Leia. <laughs> no, uh, no. Work out great. No, mm. but I, I, I love his playfulness. I love his yeah. humor. I love, he is the bravest person I know. Socially brave. He, there's nothing that phases him. We, we were, um, in Washington, D.C., in front of the White House, and there was, uh, like, a Secret Service agent with, like, an automatic weapon, like, you know, just looking very menacing. And he walks up to him, just asks directions. Like, hey. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what are you doing? Like, I'm very scared of that guy. And, and PJ's, his whole worldview is they're just people. Everyone's just a person. Yeah, and and it, it means that he's not intimidated by anyone, but it also means no matter who you are, he sees you as a fully formed human being. He's going to treat you as such. And it's why he has such an amazing heart. Well, all right. Thanks. This, this is a, this is a business <laughs> podcast. You know. I know, but I'm saying, <laughs> well, you know, actually, th thank you for saying that PJ. And I'm going to say that there's nothing at all about business that is, that that's not consistent with quite mm -hmm. to the contrary. I mm -hmm. think successful, truly, truly successful people in business do see other people mm -hmm. are present do invest their time, do make an effort. Uh, so everything Kara just said about you as a human being, I would say are the kinds of traits that people should bring into their lives, careers, and certainly their relationships. And I can, you know, as someone that was not on Bumble that long, I can, uh, I, I, I will echo the experience he had. It was kind of interesting. There would be, there would be people who would respond with, uh, disdain at, yeah. at well thought out answers as yes. if like, what did you, well, you'd prefer for me to be not uh, thoughtful. Is that right. the thing? <laughs> right. Um, you know, then? so, but, but I'll tell you what, the, the, the thing about that, uh, is that it's not just an exercise in finding your person. It's also an exercise in identifying the traits that really resonate for mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, for me that, 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 that journey, while I hated it while I was in it, yeah. Uh, really sharpened my view of what I what I value, and I and I knew it. I I didn't come into it blind, mm -hmm. but it reinforced uh, you know what I value, and uh, and I I you know I to bring this full circle to 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 New Orleans where I started uh, this episode. You know I, I I spent a lot of time this weekend, truly feeling 
beyond grateful, uh, you know, for the opportunity to, mm-hmm. to have such an incredible person in my life. And uh, I, seeing the two of you is inspiring. And, um, and hopefully, uh, how many years have you been married now? Going on six. six. Yeah. Going on six. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully many, many more years for you. And, and who knows, um, yes. you know. I have I have some ideas for uh, for what the future brings, but at the same time, you also have to take life a little bit one day at a time and not rush things. Yeah. Yep. Um, Kara, I, I want to thank you. Uh, yes. First of all, for you know for for being an advocate uh, for for us in this podcast. This this journey actually began uh, when when I was a guest of yours and PJ's. Yes, that's uh, right. On your podcast, yeah. and and you know PJ then followed up and uh, and was kind enough to think that. Uh, <laughs> That that we had that we 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 had the opportunity to do something together, uh, which I'm I'm very grateful that yeah. we're doing. And uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, you know, life life is about the combination of what you do, who you do it with, and who you get to come back home to uh, yes. when you're done doing. So true. And you know, I think the two of you um, are inspiring. Uh, each of you as an individual is inspiring, and uh, I'm feel grateful and privilege oh. to be in both your lives well, well thank you we so feel much, the man. same way about you it's been amazing well, that's yeah. very kind of you yeah no you're awesome buddy all right well thank you so much yeah thank you so much thanks for having me on and thanks for doing this because i think it's such important work to encourage people to keep going and that's a wrap folks like what you heard want to support the show please follow our page on linkedin and facebook Visit us on YouTube and please like and rate us on all of your favorite podcast streaming services. You can also see exclusive content, subscribe for free to our weekly blog, support our sponsors, and soon buy our merchandise at www.bravingbusiness.com. Thanks for being a part of our production, and we'll see you next time on the Braving Business Podcast. 